Many years ago, in Canada, there was a chief of an Indian tribe who made his transition, and his eldest son automatically became the chief. But his eldest son was really not of the way of his father, or his tribe for that matter. He was more of an urban thinker. He never really paid attention to the things that his father said or really learned the ways of his people. And so here he was now the chief, so he assumed the role, he put on the regalia, and people came to him. Everybody was playing out the role. And the folks who came to him asked questions, seeking wisdom for the tribe. And the question they were asking at that time was, is it going to be a cold, long, hard winter? Well, he had a 50-50 chance, so he just said, yes. <laughs> and so they began to chop lots of wood. And after they had chopped a lot of wood, they came to him again, checking in once again on his wisdom. Is it going to be a cold, long, hard winter? Yes, he said. And they went and chopped more wood. And then a third time. There's always got to be three in these tellings, right? <laughs> And so then he started to feel a little funny about this. And he thought, well, how am I going to know? Because I don't know. So he had an idea. And he disguised himself. And he went to the local university. And he went and found the professor of meteorology. And he asked him, is it going to be a long, cold, hard winter? And the professor said, yes. And so he's walking away. And then he thinks, I should check that. He says, how do you know it's going to be a long, cold, hard winter? And the professor says, honestly, we don't have the proper equipment. We can't actually predict it. But the local Native American tribe, <laughs> they have chopped a whole lot of wood. <laughs> and we know that they, are in, uh, they have a deep connection to wisdom. In Proverbs, we get this passionate plea from wisdom herself. She says, it says, wisdom cries out on the street. In the squares, she raises her voice. At the crossroad, she takes her stand. At the city gates, she speaks. How long will you love being ignorant, she says. This was over 2,000 years ago, but I don't know. It feels like it could be appropriate today. What do you think? <laughs> Hear my instruction, the voice of wisdom says, and be wise and do not neglect it. Keep my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them to your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Happy is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Nothing you desire can compare to her. Her paths are peace. Wisdom is sweet to your soul. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. So what is this thing we call wisdom? A lot of times it gets confused with knowledge. Knowledge is more information, right? More the things that we learn from the outside in. It's what we get added to us through the world and through our learning. And often in our culture, it's that intellectual process of gaining knowledge, right? 
Wisdom is inner knowing. It's inner knowledge. It comes from uh, the place beyond. It comes, we come wired with it. We have access to it. It's here as a part of us. It's part of our 12 powers teachings in unity, much like the chakra system. There are these 12 ways of being that are also energy centers. And this place, the solar plexus, holds that access point of wisdom. Some call it the second brain. We spend a lot of time up here in the first brain, but we would, we would, it would behoove us <laughs> to spend more time accessing the wisdom of the second brain. So it gets honed with life experience, wisdom does, and that knowing becomes more a part and, and more uh, something that we access with more ease as we live from that place and get practiced in opening to it and listening. As comedian Jeff Foxworthy said, wisdom equals knowledge plus scars. And so that life experience is a part of what, what helps us get more clarity and more um, uh, in that kind of uh, like dance. It's kind of a dance, right? That we, when we're living our lives, when we have questions come up, when we need discernment, we need to make choices, we need immediate guidance sometimes, or long-term guidance, that there is a kind of dance that happens there, that we go to this place, not just this place where we write out our pros and cons, right? But that we sit in stillness, in the silence. We listen, we allow, and we hear, and we are guided to move forward in the way that will be the best and highest good for ourselves and all involved. That's the idea. This wisdom and knowledge difference is uh, given a lighthearted touch by British journalist Miles Kingston. He says, knowledge is knowing that tomato, a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in your fruit salad. <laughs> Again, it's that life experience, right? Uh, that mix doesn't, doesn't work so well. Teaching can be approached from a place of knowledge or a place of wisdom. You know, there can be that style of, I'm going to pour my knowledge into you. I'm going to give you all the information, and we will just passively receive. Versus the kind of process that allows us to engage with one another and draw forth the collective and individual wisdom that's in the group. That style of teaching is called the Socratic method from the Greek philosopher Socrates, the idea that we all have wisdom within us and that it is honored. And so it is drawn forth, it is brought forth. The facilitator is a person who is teaching is not so much the sage on the stage, but the guide on the side, who's helping facilitate, bringing forth the wisdom so that the group can be moved and um, enlightened by whatever is present. And that we ourselves probably know from our own experiences that when somebody, a mentor or a teacher, has helped us access our own knowing, that it is far more powerful and life-giving for us and applicable for us than if they just tell us what they think. Right? Have you experienced those two approaches? Yes, absolutely. So there is that kind of sense that comes forth. The sage will know when to hold back what they know and let the other find their way to their own knowledge through their own thoughts and beliefs and feelings and sensation and connection to this place. So yesterday we had a celebration of life here for John Marsla. John and Ray Joyce have been longtime members here at Unity and they're regulars at the 930 service, so some of you may not know them as well. 
But um, John was a professor of English, and his approach was so approachable. <laughs> so he um, actually, in his later years, in recent years, he was the, the facilitator of the book club at Rossmore. And uh, the story goes that the previous facilitator had more of a I show up with the answers kind of approach. And so when, when John was asked to come in, it was a completely different experience. So yesterday, after the celebration of life, we went into the community room and had a reception. And I happened to sit at the table with book club members from Rossmore. And somebody was telling me about, she said, why John really was a good teacher. She said, I'm really shy. And there were like 25 people in the group. And she said, they like to talk a lot. She said, I was never going to share. But John would always look at me and ask me personally if I had something to add. And she said, it just meant so much to me. And he was honoring the fact that she had wisdom to contribute to the group too, just a different way of bringing that forth. Discernment is sometimes what this power of wisdom is called, the ability to make wise choices, to decide in a moment what the words or actions are that we need to take, or to, to mull over, right? to be with, to feel into, over a period of time, bigger decisions that we want to make for our lives or our families or our world or our work, whatever it may be. And one little phrase really has helped me over the years with this, just to ask what serves here or what serves now? And just by asking that, I can hold an a, a invitation to the divine wisdom within me to show me what will serve this situation, this condition, this moment, this relationship, this conversation. And so if we can kind of live with that kind of question, whatever it is your version of that that would work for you, so that it becomes a routine way that you move through the world. Ah, what serves now? And then you drop into that place. And you may not get an answer right at that moment, or you may. Or something might show up in the outer world all of a sudden. You think, wow, that was uncanny. That was exactly what I needed to know, right? Or I needed to hear, or I needed the confirmation or the validation for I know you probably have experienced moments in your life where you've had just an immediate understanding, a sudden knowing, like, oh, that's right. I completely understand now, or I know what to do now, or I have clarity of mind, I have a vision. Those moments are when that channel is open. It's, it's our intuition coming through, right? Showing us and, and validating for us. It's not something that needs explanation, it's just, a, it's just something that we suddenly know. Those experiences are coming from your innate wisdom. They're coming from an openness to this energy space in you, to this power that lies latent in us until we open the way to receive from it, to open the door, to allow it to guide us through our lives rather than just being guided through our ego's desires or our intellectual thoughts. It's not to say that the ego and the intellect aren't gifts. They are. But they, they work in service, too. So if we let our knowledge work in service to our wisdom, our ego work in service to the divine in us, things flow a lot nicer in life, a lot more easily. A lot more, uh, there's a lot more fulfillment and joy and purpose in that when we are in, working in that way. 
So ways that we access this intuition or this power of wisdom is by listening, right? By opening to it, listening, and then trusting. The f to follow the way of wisdom is to acknowledge that we have it, that we have it available to us, and that we are able to access it and be led by it. And to choose the highest roads in life, it can be accessed primarily through this process of listening and trust and also humility. The wisest of sages always seem to be the humblest of people. Have you noticed that? They're not the people that want to tell you how wonderful they are necessarily. They just are wonderful. You think about the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, some of the contemporary teachers of our times, Desmond Tutu. These are people that, and I know Desmond Tutu and the Thich Nhat Hanh have made their transitions, but they've been contemporaries of ours in these uh, past many decades. People that show up in that way, that you know they are turned in, tuned in and tapped in to that innate wisdom, but they show up accessible, they show up humble. One of them is from Sufism, the wise fool, Mullah Nasruddin. You may have heard some of his stories before. This one is about the dueling experts. So Mullah Nasruddin lived in a town where he was known as a local hajjah. The hajjah is the spiritual teacher. And once a traveling wise man came through town and he challenged Mullah to a duel of the hajjahs. So when people heard about it, they gathered in the town square and they surrounded the two and they all wanted to be a part of hearing the duel of wisdom. So Mullah said, I accept your challenge. It's my turf. So here's the test. You ask me 40 questions, whatever 40 questions you come up with, as hard as you want them to be, and I will give one answer to all of them. And if I can do this, I win, you lose. The traveler said, okay. And the traveler began to fire away very, very complex questions, one after another, at Mullah Nasruddin. And Nasruddin paused for a moment when he was done. And he responded, I don't know anything. Everyone groaned in the town, but they agreed the home team had won. <laughs> Wisdom in its, in its humble expression is a willingness to say, I don't know. It's an ability to say, I'm sorry, or I apologize. It's that kind of humility that knows that we don't always get it right. We don't always have to be right. The ego doesn't always have to be in control. In fact, we know in fact, out of that wisdom, that we are never in control. <laughs> that yes, indeed, we are co-creating our lives, so there is a power that we can put into play in our lives, but it is co-creation. There is an, a giving over, a surrender, an opening, a curiosity that is natural for wisdom to come up for us. So the Buddhist monk Ajahn Chah says, you have so many opinions and you suffer so much from them. Why don't you just let them go? <laughs> Easier said than done, right? <laughs> <sighs> 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 
But by emptying ourselves regularly, by emptying ourselves of the busyness of thought, the idea that we've got this figured out, and coming with that beginner's mind that the Buddhists talk about so much, coming with that openness, coming into, as the Fillmores would say, the silence, giving ourselves that time to just be in a receptive mode allows the answers to come forth for us. So you could even begin your quiet time entering to the silence with an affirmation or two that, that really brings us home. I come empty. I'm open. I'm willing to be shown, to be taught. Divine wisdom, teach me today. If you start your day with that, followed by some silence, you truly will learn something every day. And it will be a lasting kind of lesson, something that can really be applied to all different ways of living and moving and having our being in this life. Jesus said we must become like little children to enter the kingdom of God, open, curious, fresh, willing, innocent, in that kind of space. My nephew used to do this thing when he was really little where he would sway to one side and sway to the other, and we were all sure he must have had an invisible friend that we couldn't see because of the way that he seemed to be mirroring this play. And I think children are often really attuned to that mystery. Animals, too. You can see it probably in your cats or dogs. We used to call my, my dog Hazel the hairy mystic. <laughs> yeah, she'd just go out and sit in the yard and around or sit in the house. You ever have a dog that does that or a cat? You know, cats, well, they're already kind of the, the mystical beings themselves. <laughs> so it is that kind of um, approach though, right? That childlike kind of approach that opens us up to a heavenly consciousness to come through. Myrtle Fillmore, our co-founder, was the one who, as they were developing this movement, she and Charles said, who's going to take care of the children? And she looked around and didn't really see anybody raising their hand and said, I will take care of the children. And that became a big part of her ministry. In Unity, we had a We Wisdom school, a magazine called We Wisdom back in the day. And the one book that she wrote was called We Wisdom's Way. And it had these characters in it, Aunt Joy and Papa and the children. And there was always these different life lessons that were played out. Wisdom was a key part of this, of course, we wisdom, and here's an excerpt in the cover of her book. Wisdom shows you that love and goods, like a circle, doesn't have corners, doesn't commence, doesn't leave off. It just goes round and round forever, and when you see how it is, you'll always have a smooth way, because that's wisdom's way. And her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Because you have to become, as a little child, to find this way, it ought to be called We Wisdom's Way. So next time you find that it feels maybe a little overwhelming to access, to, to get clear on something, maybe reframing it as We Wisdom's Way gives it a little softer edge, allows us to become a child, to enter that place of play, and receive from there, and then it may maybe doesn't feel daunting to you to come up with answers for your life. We know how it is when we follow our guidance and when we don't, right? We've all had those experiences. 
On the other end of the how things go when we don't is usually that question, how, how's that working for you? you know? <laughs> Good one to answer, ask ourselves on occasion, right? When I was in college, I chose to major in business because it's what my dad thought I should major in. But I didn't like it very much. I especially didn't like accounting class. And so I wouldn't do my homework for weeks and weeks and weeks. And instead, when I was in the library, I'd find myself reading psychology magazines and books with great fascination for hours and hours. And I'd come out of the library and be like filled with this new knowledge and, and passionate understanding of psychology, having done not one lick of accounting work. So then the test would come around, and I'd have weeks of catch-up work, and I'd cram it all into one night. It didn't work so well. I got a D in accounting. <laughs> so then I just kind of decided, well, maybe I should change my major. But what to? You know, the obvious choice would have been psychology, right? I loved it. I had a passion for it. I had a thirst for it. I took one psychology class. But I don't know. Dad probably wouldn't go for psychology. So I had to find some in between that was palatable for me, or so I thought, and acceptable to him. And, you know, being the good little Capricorn, I probably thought, well, Dad was paying for college, so I better do something that he wants, you know. <sighs> Boy, isn't it good to have those kinds of dialogues behind us? <laughs> so, in the end, I, st I studied public relations. But it wasn't until after I got out of college that I found unity. And it was through unity that I learned to that the, our own passions, our own unique expressions, our wisdom is what we want to follow, not what everybody else thinks or wants for our lives. That never works. And so it is for us to, to step into our own power and to access this power that is delighted to show us the way that would be the best and highest good for ourselves and have the greatest impact on others in our lives. And so it's allowing ourselves to trust this wisdom that is within us that will show us the highest and best for ourselves and therefore everyone around us. Listen. If wisdom had a mantra that it could whisper in our ears, I believe it would say, listen, trust, follow. That's it. <laughs> listen, trust, follow. Listen, trust, follow. So first we have to listen, right? First we open ourselves to listen in the silence. If we, pra if we have a practice where we spend a little time in the silence every day, it will go a long way through our day because we'll be able to more easily access this wisdom for ourselves because we've spent some time unplugged in it. And then when we are plugged in, when we are about our day, when we are moving about, there's still that easy access available to us because it's a familiar route. Listen to the wisdom of your body, to the second brain, to this ganglionic nerve center that is back behind this place of wisdom that connects love and wisdom together, these two powers. When we listen to our bodies, to the cellular memory, to the wisdom, to, to that, that feeling that we get here, it, it tells us something, right? The sensations tell us something here. This is also the place where we're gonna feel fear. So sometimes when we're accessing wisdom, the first place we're gonna come into contact with is fear. So it behooves us to spend a little more time there so that we can acknowledge the fear and move deeper past the fear 
to see what the divine is really trying to tell us. Trust. Trust is that voice that comes through or the imagery or the sensation or however it is. Maybe you spend time in the silence and then you open your eyes and you begin to move about your day and then there's the sign. You know, somebody calls you or you see something or something happens and suddenly you just realize, wow, that was it. That was exactly what I needed to know. I just saw a squirrel running over and burying a, an acorn and I just realized that's something I need to do. I need to save something. I need to s store something. Whatever it is, it can be those simple kinds of everyday experiences that suddenly speak to us because we have opened to the power and now we are trusting it. Trust that divine essence that created us, that source energy that we came from, that God is energy that permeates our being. If we trust that that which made us, that which source us, is available to us, then everything will go more smoothly in our lives. And then finally, to follow, to complete the process. That's principle number five, right? Live the principles, take action. If we don't take action, then it was all a fun exercise, but it doesn't get to be manifested in the world. It doesn't get to be demonstrated in the world. We don't get to experience what it's like to put feet on our prayers, to live the wisdom we have been given. And so it's that action piece, that follow through, that, that nudge that you feel, you know, that, that sensation that you get, that sinking feeling or that rising feeling, to follow those experiences, trust them, and act upon them accordingly. Say to you, wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, and call insight your intimate friend. We deepen our wisdom by remaining open, by remaining humble, by being willing to be taught by the divine in all life. So Charles Fillmore, Myrtle's husband, the co-founder of Unity, wrote this invocation that brings forth the power of wisdom, that summons wisdom along with its partner, love. So I invite you, if you want to close your eyes or just bring your attention into your heart or your solar plexus and just receive this summoning. I am now in the presence of pure being and immersed in the Holy Spirit of life, love, and wisdom. I acknowledge your presence and power, O blessed spirit. In your divine wisdom, now erase my mortal limitations. And from your pure substance of love, bring into manifestation my world according to your perfect law. Divine wisdom, it's accessible, it's innate, it's in you. Divine wisdom is knocking on the door of your solar plexus, if you will. It wants to be known. It wants to be listened to. It wants you to bring forth something that is uniquely yours to bring forth into this world. Today or tomorrow or over the next year, it doesn't really matter. There is always something that God is asking us to be, calling us higher. And now we've summoned that power from within us of wisdom. So let's affirm now our commitment to follow through, to listen, to trust. I invite you to say this with me. Divine wisdom is innate and accessible. I listen, trust, and follow it. 
And so it is.